0: Genesis 8 is a passage, it's a little bit like the genealogy. You look at it and you go, what are we doing with this passage? Where's it going to take us? What are we going to learn from it? Let's read it, and then we're going to look and see what God might teach us. So Genesis 8, verse 1, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually at the end of 150 days the waters had abated and in the 7th month on the 17th day of the month the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month the 10th month in the 10th month on the first top on the first day of the month the tops of the mountains were seen so you see you know the the, the, we're coming to this place where there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, or there's dry land at the end of the tunnel, literally, you know. here. Um, verse 6. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro from the waters were dried up from the earth. And then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plicked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred... And first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from your ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons wives with you bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh birds animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the face of the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth so noah went out with his sons and their and his wife and his sons wives with him every beast every creeping thing and every bird everything that moves on the earth went out by families perhaps your bible might say by their kind from the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of the clean animal and some of the every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma the Lord said in his heart I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. The chapter, over half this chapter, is telling the story of how the earth dried up. And Noah determining when it was time to leave the ark. But there's something else happening in this chapter. And it appears that it's just a timeline. But let's look closer. So in verse 1, God made a wind to pass over the earth. Verse 2 and 3, the fountains and the floodgates closed and the rain stopped and the water receded. Verses 4 and 5, the ark rested on Ararat, or on the mountaintops, and the waters decreased enough, the mountains were visible. 7 and 8, birds, the raven and the doves were sent out. 18 and 7, verse 17, every living creature, he says, be fruitful and Multiply. Let's look at something together. Go back to Genesis 1. Let's look at some things here. In the creation narrative, chapter 1, verse 2, it says that God, that there was a, a wind, that there, his God's spirit hovered over the earth. The earth was, fo- with, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth, and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. That word that's used for spirit is ruah. It's the exact same word that is used in chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. But here it's used as a wind moved over the face of the earth. So in verse in chapter 1 verse 2 we see him talking about the earth, the deep, the spirit moving over the waters. In chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 we see him again talking about a wind of God, God sent a wind the earth, the waters, the deep. Look what it happens, and that's day one of creation. See the similarity? Track with it a little bit further. Day two of creation. God made the waters and the sky. And what happens in chapter eight of two? He separates. He says the the, the rain stops and the wells close up. And so no longer is it water everywhere, but they're separated. They've stopped. Again, Here's another connection. Here's another vague connection if, uh, that you might say. Look at day three in creation. Here in day three, what happens is he, he, he creates the earth. He talks about the waters, the mountains. And then in, in chapter eight, three and five, he says the waters begin to receive and the tops of the mountains appear. Day four creation, he sets the stars and the moons in place. Notice that they were not affected. At all by the flood. And so therefore there's no mention of that. At all in chapter 8. Day 5 of creation. He sets the birds above the earth. And they. And they and it's, and look at what it says in verse 20 there. And God said, that, Let the waters swarm. And the swarms with living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth. Across the expanse of the heavens. Now look what happens in chapter 8. In verse 7 and 8. Here. Noah puts out birds, raven. He flies out all over. And the same word is used for this going across the, above the earth, alpene. That same word is, again, is used in a, different, a slightly different way, but in the similar context. Birds flying around the earth. Day six of creation, chapter one, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of all earth according to their kinds. And so it was. And so God made the beasts of, of the earth living according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And in, in, in chapter, eight of seven, chapter 8, verse 17, there, a same thing begins to happen here too, where God sends them out. And, it, and he says to release every creature according to their kind. But then also in day six, he talks about man being made in the image of God. And here's where we're going to have to go beyond our passage. And look at what God says in chapter 9, verse 2. 9 6. I'm sorry, I'm reading from 9 2. 9 six. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. On the sixth day of creation... God talks about making man in his own image. And here we are in the aftermath of the flood. And again, God is affirming man in his own image. What do you think you see ha- happening here in this passage or in all this? Matter of fact, here's one more thing. I forgot to mention it. Day seven, God says he rested. What did we say from the very beginning? What did Lamech say was Noah's name and why did he name him? He said that Lame- Noah's name was meant rest. Noah's name meant rest because he said that this son will give us a rest from our toil. On day seven, God rested. And here we are. Noah's name means rest as well. You know, this is not like a new creation. This is more like a new commissioning. God is commissioning mankind and his flesh all over again. Next week, when we go further into the text, we're going to see not only is he recommissioning, but he's putting new terms He's establishing a few new game rules to mankind and to all flesh. Because we even saw it here in that passage we read from chapter 9, verse 6. But for right now, all that was destroyed, he's making it new again, and he's starting it over. And what we see, you know, is that as we continue to go on, there's this reset. There's this reboot. He's destroyed all of mankind, except for these eight. He's destroyed all of the animals all of the birds, every creeping thing, except for those that were on the boat. And now, as he's come to this place where the flood is recited, the language and even the order somewhat has vague similarities to creation in chapter 1. So here we are in chapter 8, and there's similarities happening here. And, but he's not make, making something fresh again, but he's recommissioning what existed already and, re- and giving it its purpose reaffirming it and changing a little bit of it, as we'll see next week. But there's one thing that has not changed. Look at chapter 8, verse 21. What has not changed in verse 21? Man's heart. Man's heart has not changed. He says in verse 21 what he said technically all the way back when he first began to contemplate, to announce his plans for the flood. He says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. That he didn't change. That he didn't change. All mankind is destroyed except for this one man who feared God and found favor in God's eyes and received God's grace. Not because Noah deserved it. Not because Noah deserved it, for no man is deserving of God's favor. But nonetheless, he received God's unearned, unmerited favor because of his faith. That's what Hebrews says. God says that that this man walked with him. And therefore, this one man continues to be this bridge. We saw it in Genesis 3.15. There's the seed of the woman. And this seed of the woman is the Messiah he's speaking of. And so from this woman is going to continue to be descendants who are going to continue to carry that seed until that Messiah is in place. And so here we are with Noah being the one man who's carrying it forward. He is the bridge in this case from pre-flood to post-flood. But the thing that caught my attention about this passage was the very, very first verse. Not even the first verse, it was the very first three words. But God remembered Noah. God remembered remembered Noah. Don't you think, even though it says he's a man of faith, don't you think that somewhere in the middle of all of those days, in the course of the days and the nights of rain, and in the days and the nights of drifting on that water, just drifting, you realize there's no navigation system in this big ark. It is something that just was raised up and was left to drift. Do you think that somewhere in the course of all of those days and of, of rain, of drifting, of just seeing water, somewhere in there, Noah was wondering if God had remembered him? Is it possible that you're in a circumstance this morning in your life that is beginning to feel like God has abandoned you or forgotten you or gone on to something else? or someone else, that someone else gets all the breaks, that someone gets all of the good stuff, that someone gets the good job, that someone gets, you know, the house, the car, the finances, whatever it may be, and you didn't get it again? Is it possible that your health issue, you feel like God has forgotten? Is it possible that your financial situation, you feel like God has forgotten you? Do you feel like that he's forgotten you because you're unmarried, Do you feel like He's forgotten you because you are still married and you're in a relationship that is terrible and hopeless? Do you feel like He's forgotten you because you're still without child? Or do you feel like He's forgotten you because your child has disabilities that you just don't see an end to? Are you worried about that son or that mother or that daughter or that father, the husband, the wife, some loved one that's in a dire situation that you can't change? There are many of us. I had a phone call yesterday from a friend who found um, a friend dead in a hotel room from an overdose. When we are watching our family members make these kind of decisions and we can't make them stop, do you think that maybe God has forgotten you? That God has forgotten them. What is God going to do to intervene to help them stop before they destroy themselves? What is God going to do to intervene to stop so that you don't find your loved one in a hotel room like my friend did yesterday? We can take solace. We can take encouragement that God remembered Noah. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to put your name in that blank up there. But God remembered Noah you god remembered your loved one god remembered your finances whatever it may be that god has remembered that because he has not forgotten it you can go through scripture and you can find men and women throughout scripture who felt like they were forgotten but in fact were never forgotten at all the hebrew nation had felt like they had been forgotten by god while they were stuck in egypt and they cried out until finally moses led them out they were never forgotten it was not god's time yet though 1 Samuel records the waiting of Hannah, and it talks about her weeping bitterly, year after year, wanting a child until she had that son that God gave her. Simeon and Anna, who served at the temple, waiting on the Messiah until that one day Joseph and Mary brought up the baby. All of these people felt like they were forgotten, but they were never forgotten. Because they had a chapter 8, verse 1, written about them just like Noah did. But God remembered them. God remembered them. They were never forgotten, although they might have felt like it. And God will remember you as well. But Think about this. In chapter 1, how did he create the water? Instantaneously, he spoke it into creation. Could he not have dried up all the water the same way after the flood? Could he not take whatever situation is in your life and change it like that? Could he not just step in and intervene in such a way and give you the job that you need or give you the child that you want or or heal a sick loved one? Could he not do any of that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there are cases when he's done that. But if he's not done that in your life yet, then he has a reason and a purpose for not doing that yet in your life. As you're waiting for God to deal with with your situation, you might take away that uh, he already knows about it. As a matter of fact, you know, he might be taking away something so he can replace it with something better. He might be orchestrating your circumstances so that he gets your very best in mind. The story that you've heard before, but I mean, I like telling stories over again. You know, the stories that you heard before is that our our first church property was out there underneath the highway and it was a small piece of property and there was nothing built on it at all. And then the state of Pennsylvania, um, this is one of those examples where God used government, (laughs) you know. And God used the government of the state of Pennsylvania to condemn that land for that highway that's out there right now. There we were, floating with nothing but water all around us. We we have these two little pieces of land that we can't build on and a highway. So here we are floating, waiting for what God's going to do. And it wasn't long after that that the widow lady who owned this property said to the real estate agent, talk to the church, sell them the campus. We thought we had something we wanted out there, and God, quote-unquote, destroyed it, left us floating, and then gave us something better in giving us this campus. What is it in your life right now that you feel like you're floating? You felt like everything was going pretty good, and now you're just floating. Has God forgotten you? Has he forgotten that situation that pains you? day in and day out. I'd venture to say that God has not forgotten you and that he is recreating something for you. It took days and months and weeks before Noah came out of that ark, and God is going to do the same thing in your life. It might take days and months and weeks before God brings you out of your situation. But God's word affirms all these things to us. God's word, these are passages that we all know, but we have to be reminded of them because when we have been floating for as long as some of you have been floating, you forget what the sunshine looks like. You forget what dry land looks like. You forget what it's going to feel like to walk out onto dry land again. So you have to be reminded. And so we have to be reminded of God's promises. Like, for instance, here's Isaiah 55, and he goes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Change that into your situation. And here is God, and he's saying, look, the way that I would take care of that is very different than the way you want me to take care of that. And so the way that I'm going to take care of your situation is different than that. Because, see, I think different than you do. I see the big picture. And I I know what's best for you. And so that situation that you're so worried about, I understand. I haven't forgotten it. And I've got a better way out of it for you. Psalms 1830 We just read the passage that says that God's ways are not ours' ways. And then here's a passage that talks about what God's ways are. And it says, for for this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. It's exactly what Noah did in that ark. He took refuge in what God had provided until God provided the next thing. God's ways are perfect. Isaiah 55 said that God's ways are not our ways. They're big. His ways are bigger, different. And then, and then here in Psalm 18, it says that his ways are not our ways, and his ways are perfect. And then where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in Hebrews 11. We were here last week. We, maybe we should just come to this passage every single week. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Just pause right there. What does it mean to believe that he is? What does that mean to believe that he is? Talk to me. What do you think it means to believe that he is? He exists. All right, good. Any other comments on that? Self-sustaining? Great. Good. Heard something over here? He is who he claims to be. Savior of the world? God, a creator? And so it says here, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is everything that he said he is, that he's, he, that, that he's done everything that he said he's done, that everything you've seen him do, that's who he is. But if you've never trusted him in your life, within either situations, and instead every single day you wake up and you figure out how you're going to take care of it yourself, and every night you go to bed exhausted because you've worked as hard as you can to keep your life in order and you've been doing it yourself, you'll never know what that verse is talking about. Because you never found him to be all that he is. Because you were in the way doing it yourself. So the passage says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is everything he says he is, and that he's done everything that he's done, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. A rewarder of those who seek him. So Having faith that he is who he says he is and that we seek him and he rewards that. Seeking him can happen a lot of different ways. But there's two things, maybe three things you can add to this list It's not comprehensive. One is being in his word and having him speak to you. One is being in prayer. And the third thing is being in fellowship. Being around other Christians who can point you back to God's word, who the Holy Spirit works in, in your life to help you see what God is doing. Sometimes we don't see what He's doing, and we need someone else to point out to us what God is doing. This morning, you are not forgotten. Your situation is not forgotten. God's Word tells you that. Noah, Hannah, Naomi, Simeon, Anna, their stories tell you that. He is the God that He is. And now, you and I must raise our head and cast our eyes on faith, on the eternal promise-keeping God who has not forgotten you, who will not forget you, and who will in His due time speak into your situation and bring it to a resolution that He has ordained for it Himself. With fervent faith, we believe that He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. This morning, my encouragement to us is to believe that and to be remembered and to know that he's doing that. Let's pray.